when you're an entrepreneur, nothing's laid out for you. You have to figure it out. So now you have to be the designer of your layout. You have to be the designer of everything you're going to do, your choices, your decisions, what's good for me, what's good for the company, everything. So I would say the difference is there's no blueprint, but the hustle is exactly the same. This is Terrell Hunt, former Syracuse quarterback and co-owner of Good Choice Productions. You now are listening to Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm honored to have uh, Terrell Hunt on, who is a former Syracuse quarterback and team captain. He ranks in the top 10 in school history for passing yards, completion percentage, completions, and rushing touchdowns, despite suffering two season-ending injuries, including a broken leg in his junior season and an Achilles injury that he suffered midway through the first quarter of the first game in his senior season. He's more recently the founder of the of Good Choice Productions, so he's got the mix of the the overcoming injuries, the entrepreneurship. He's like the perfect candidate for the Heads and Tails podcast. So, Terrell, really excited to have you on today and, and share your story. So, I don't know if you want to give us like a little bit of background on like maybe why you chose Syracuse out of high school, where you grew up, and what led to these kind of like leading up to these injuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, I want to say thanks for having me on here. Uh, I, I know about your story as well, and I think it's pretty cool what you're doing here, you know, because it's one thing to actually go through it, but then it's also another thing to actually be able to talk about it and bring other people together to actually talk about it. So I just want to say thank you for having me on here. But yeah, my name is Terrell. I was born and raised out in uh, Queens, New York. And when I was in high school, I uh, went to Christ the King. It's a very, very big high school for basketball. And when I went there, you know, everybody was like, why are you going there? You, you know, are you plan on giving up football? You want to play basketball? Honestly, I wanted to go there. One, I got a scholarship because of basketball. But two, I was like, I want to change this program around. So I ended up going there. And when I was a sophomore, I actually got uh, received my scholarship from Syracuse University. And that was my first collegiate scholarship. And then after that, offers started just pouring in, letters start pouring in and people that's how it works, at least in the uh, collegiate sport. When one once you get one scholarship, everybody else is like, "Who am I missing? Why am I missing this guy? Why did they offer him?" You know. So that was pretty cool. But I ended up choosing Syracuse because my mother, God rest her soul, um, she passed away when I was sixteen. Yeah, and a year and a day later, um, my dad passed away. Oh man! All while you were in high school. Oh, I was in high school. Yeah. So wow. Yeah, it was crazy because uh, my dad was one of those uh, tough love type dads, you know, and um, they weren't married. They weren't together ever, but it's just weird how he just couldn't let her go even after she left. But he was always one of those tough love guys. And he always said like, hey, man, you know, I'll never tell you I'm proud of you until you make it. I know he was, but he was one of those. Right. And it was it was so like, like not even bittersweet. It was so crazy that the day he died was February 1st, 2011. And I signed my letter of intent to Syracuse February 2nd, 2011. Oh, man. You know, and it's like, damn, I just wish he would have seen it. But I know he did, you know. Yeah, he definitely saw it. He saw way more than he might have seen. (laughs) Absolutely. So I originally chose Syracuse because, one, they were the first school that offered me. And, two, the way they treated me was more than an athlete. It was more than, you know, a recruit compared to all the other schools that I went to. And also they wanted me as a quarterback. They didn't want to change my position. Some people wanted me at wide receiver, some at tight end. They're like, oh, you could play safety. You'll be great. You know, but they were one – one of the um, 
schools that wanted me at uh, quarterback. And then also that was the only school because my mother got sick and she had caught cancer. That was the only school that she was able to go to because it was only four hours away. So that was the first and only school she was able to visit and see. So for me, that was another thing like, man, I got to go here, you know? And the one thing that they did that I'll never forget is at my mother's funeral, the head coach, Doug Marone, and the assistant coach who was recruiting me, um, John and Samo, they actually came to the funeral, you know, and it's like I'm at my mother's casket and I'm, you know, people walking by, I'm saying thank you, you know, for, and the people I expect the least to show up is those guys or even any coach for that matter, you know, um, that's recruiting me. And the fact that they took time out of their schedule and everything and to come down and, you know, be there for me that resonated a lot with me. So it was like, I have nowhere else to go but this school. That's interesting what you said. I mean, that's incredible that they did that. And again, like, I'm sorry you you had to go through that, man. That's tough to go through as a young kid. But you said they treated you like more than an athlete. What do you mean by that? When I say that, like, it wasn't just a, hey, this is what we can offer you. This is what you'll become at our school, this and that. This and, it, it was more of a, who are you as a person? you know, what drives you? Where do you come from? Like they came to my basketball games. They came to my basketball practice just to watch, you know, and talk to my basketball coach. So they didn't only come to recruit me as just the football player. They were wanted Terrell Hunt. They didn't just want the quarterback that's good in high school. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it resonated because it was like, man, that's really cool that I can feel at home. Like I can feel like this is a family. And then also they both were from New York. You know, so that helped out a lot. And they were recruiting a lot of New York kids because Syracuse had gotten away for that for a little bit. I don't know why. And um, just that in a nutshell of what they were trying to create and actually did create and we were able to accomplish. That's what really sparked it for me to make me go to that school. Okay, yeah. I mean, all great reasons, man. All right. You you get to, to Syracuse. Did you have like NFL aspirations, you know, from the get go? I mean, like your, I know your dad was like kind of getting on you like, yeah, you know. Not proud of you, so you make it like making it college NFL. Like, is that what you had your sights on? Yeah, I, you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to the NFL. Everybody I would talk to, you know, they like, you know, when you ask a kid like, "Hey, are you good at this sport?" And some kids are like, oh, "I'm okay." I was the kid that was like, "No, I'm good at this." Like, you know, like, and I wasn't cocky. It was just that I knew what I wanted since I was a kid. You know, like. Now you got to have that swag if you're you like an elite to, level you know, athlete. Yeah, you got to think that. Yeah, <laughs> you can't just like. Just be like, oh, yeah, you know, be nonchalant. Yeah, but I, I was like, no, I'm going, you know. And for me, I seen Syracuse as I'm going to the NFL, you know. And, and what I did when I first got there, mind you, as a freshman, not even as a freshman. So going all through high school, I didn't have the best coaches. I had great coaches as men, but not as football coaches. X's and O's, exactly. we're talking, yeah. You know, um, it wasn't until, like, I want to say the coach that I had my first year, great coach. But he ended up leaving. He ended up leaving my after my sophomore year. That was my first year on varsity. He ended up leaving, going to another school. And after him, it wasn't good. So I was calling my own plays. I was learning defenses. I was doing all that. But mind you, I wasn't great at it because I was never taught it. So everything I learned was like Madden from watching YouTube, from meeting with other coaches and learning from them and then going to camps, you know. So, so when I got to college, I didn't know all the coverages. I knew the basic ones, but when you get to college, they run cover six. They run all these different coverages. Once you learn the basic of it, you're like, oh, this is easier. But when we got there, we had 860 plays to learn. And when you come from calling your own plays that are just 
routes and easy numbers like zero two two one. Then you go to triple right X blast, but like you know, it's 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 like whoa, you know. So that was one thing that was not discouraging, but it was scary in a sense. But yeah, as far as the NFL, I knew I was going to make it to the NFL, and everybody around me would say the same. All right, so take us up to that first broken leg, I guess. Like you started, I, I forget when you started, like actually starting games and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. So I started. Uh, so my whole career was kind of uh, pretty crazy. So I, I started in 2013, but this summer of 2013, we had got a transfer named Drew Allen from Oklahoma. Big six five, got a cannon, great dude. And um, I was in the lead. Uh, I beat out the two guys ahead of me that were. Um, I wouldn't even say the name, but two guys ahead of me, I beat them out. And going into summer camp, I'm the guy for the job. Here comes this guy from Oklahoma, transfer fifth year. So now it's all the talk. Oh, he's from Oklahoma. The media is loving it. Everything, right? As expected. So now we're head and head, and and I think I'm ahead, but whatever. The coach ends up telling me. I remember it like it's yesterday. He sits me down in his office, Coach Schaefer, and he goes, he goes, Hey T, you know, uh, I'm gonna go with Drew for the start. And I go, that's going to be the worst decision of your career, right? And he says, for your sake, I hope it is. But for the team's sake, I hope it's not. I said, for the team's sake, I'm the best option, but we'll see. And um, he told me, he was like, man, I'm, I'm happy the way you handled it. I didn't know if you were going to throw a garbage can in my head, you know, because <laughs> he did that to his coach when he uh, came in second place or whatever. But anyway, yeah, so that happened. And then I ended up starting the third game of the season because Drew didn't pan out how he expected. And I ended up starting the third game of the season and um, started every game after that. And we won the Texas Bowl our uh, first year playing. And mind you, like I said, I was just out there just learning and just going through it, you know, and we had um, what people don't know is we had five different offenses in my five years playing there. You know, like the first year we were pro, then the next next year we were spread and then we got a new head coach and then we had to learn a new offense. And then we changed the offensive coordinator halfway through the season and had to learn a new offense. And as you mentioned, like 860 plays of like five different offenses. That's what, like yeah, almost 5,000 exactly, different plays. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then you got to learn different terms, different motions. So it was never a chance to able to get settled in or whatnot. But I ended up, you know, winning the MVP of the league. And then I won an MVP of the Texas Bowl after we beat Minnesota. Following year, you know, I'm the talk of the town. I went to, uh, I actually went to the Manning camp. I was there working with Jameis, Dak, all those guys, great guys, Matty Mock, a ton of guys, and grew a relationship with them. I'm confident, you know, I'm good. And by the fifth game, we're playing Louisville, we're losing. And I remember like it was yesterday, it felt like I dropped back, I rolled out of the pocket, and it felt like my O-line just was so exhausted they didn't block this play. And I'm running. and We've all been there. Yeah, yeah, it happens. <laughs> they were, I love my O-line, though. But I was running, and the, the linebacker, I forget his name, but he tackled me. And when he tackled me, this is my leg, and like he kind of like sat on me. So it, I thought I sprained my ankle. And I was like, oh, like I was down for a little bit. I got up. And I always remember how Tom Brady got his start, so I never wanted to come out the game, right? So I came out the game for a play, and I'm on the sideline, and I'm running on it. And I'm like, it's in so much pain, but I'm like, no, adrenaline's rushing. I got to get back out there. So I'm running. I'm like, I'm good. Next play, I throw a slant. And I'm like, oh, kills me. And he takes a slant for like 20 yards. So the next play, I'm like, all right, come on, just fight through it. We'll get through it at the end of the game. We'll ice it. I call hike and I take a push off of it and I can't. And, I, and I, then I'm just hopping and it just gets sacked. And now I'm like, oh, so I get to the sideline. We take it in the back. They go, you broke your leg. 
So now this is the fifth game. I'm like, immediately I'm thinking the first thing that went into my head was I got a year left to make it to the league. That was the first thing that popped into my head. You know, I didn't like, like, I was like, damn, like I, this was supposed to be my year, you know? So now I got next year. I got to do everything in my power. And, uh, yeah, I ended up tearing my Achilles the first game of the following season. And it was tough because that summer I went to, uh, I went to go work out with, um, the quarterback guru, uh, George Whitfield. He trains like Johnny Manziel in the sand and, you know, literally all the top quarterbacks to ever play in the NFL or college. He's trained. This was after the broken leg. After the broken leg. Yep. That summer. But before the Achilles. Before the Achilles. Right. So I went out there. I'm like, you know, everything's great. And, you know, when he told me this was this was something that he told me, I was like, man, I was on cloud nine when he told me this, you know, because he's trained top of the tops. And I went out there and he goes, you know, we did our evaluation. He said, man, I'm so proud you're out here. I'm so happy you're out here because, you know, I was with another quarterback. I won't say his name. I was with another quarterback for five weeks and he's an NFL Super Bowl winning quarterback. And he goes, he can't even dream of doing the things you do naturally, you know. And for me, I'm like, whoa, you know, because your confidence is down from the first injury. You know, and then you're like, I only got a year left. And then you go out there to train with this guy who's trained countless and countless of quarterbacks. And now you're like, damn, like, you know, I got to show out. But it's like, I'm still a little, my confidence is a little down. And then to hear that right before you're going into your last season is like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh. brings you back up. Yep. I'm yeah. like, all right, this guy believes in me. I, I believed in myself all the time. But like to hear a professional who's been around a ton of, ton of greats to say that about me, it's like, I'm going. I'm I'm for sure doing it. I go to the um what do you call that? Media day. Um I get invited to the all-star game, like right then and there before I even like got to play. He was like, Hey, all you gotta do is stay healthy this year, you're for sure go. So everything's happening for me, right? Come around the game, I'm feeling good. But mind you, because I broke this my left leg, I was overcompensating to get back earlier. And I was putting a lot of pressure on the right one. And I and I would get tendonitis in my Achilles and Oh, so you had pain like leading up to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the thing was like they wanted me to get back because we didn't – our backup quarterback was, I want to say, a sophomore or a freshman or something like that. So they, they wanted me to get back. They needed me to get back, and I wanted to get back myself. And, you know, so you put so much pressure on it. Then I got a tendies, uh, Achilles tendonitis, and, you know, I'm like, I don't care. I'm going through it. I remember the play like it was yesterday. First game, my first pass, I remember my right tackle – he didn't get the DN's hands down. The guy tipped it. It was a pick. I'm like, oh, my God. That's how we're starting the game, right? I'm like, all right, don't worry about it. We're going to kill it. Next drive, we go out there. It's a run play, blah, blah. And then my coach calls a rollout play to the left. So I fake it. The tight end down blocks and rolls out. I roll out. When I roll out, the DN comes up the field. I could have just dumped it off. This is what annoys me. I could have just dumped it off very quick, got it to my tight end, and, like, you know, Whatever, he would have picked up as many yards. But when I did it, I thought the DM was closer. So I pump fake. When I pump fake, he went up. So I went down under. And when I went down, he like kind of pulled me down, like tried to tackle me. And I jumped out of the tackle. As soon as I jumped out of the tackle, it popped. So I kept running on it. But if you know about anything, when you tear your Achilles, your Achilles is all is attached to all of this calf muscle. So when you tear it, you don't have that ability to walk anymore. That 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 part, right? Because you can't do that. It's no muscle there. There's no flex. Yeah. Like, so I'm running and I'm like, like, I don't. There's no push off. No yeah. push off. So I'm like, damn, I felt like my, you know, when you're walking and someone steps on the back of your shoe and you're now 
Yeah, flat tire. Yeah. yeah, so I'm like, oh, man, my shoe came off. All right, let me just pick up three yards, fall to the ground, tie my shoes. I roll over to tie my shoes, and my shoes are tied. So I roll over to get off the ground, and when I do this to get off the ground, my foot just drops, and I, all the pain comes. And I'm like, ah. I get to the sideline. I'm cursing at the uh, our trainer. His name is Denny. Great guy, but I'm cursing at him. I'm like, Denny, what the F is wrong? What the F is wrong? Like, come on. And and he's not saying anything. So he feels my leg. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just, I, I don't know. I can't walk. And he feels my Achilles. And all I see is him do this. Because I'm sitting on the bench. He's on his knee holding my leg. And he just, and he looks at the doctor and he says, I'm like, what the F are y'all saying? Like, let me know. And he goes, I can't feel your Achilles. Instantly, all like the whole world just dropped on me. I started crying. I was like, no, no, no. I tried to get up. He's like, don't, don't. And I, it was just like, oh my God, you know, and I had to get carried off the field. And it's like, I was like, there's no way this happened. Like, you know, like you prepare for everything and you're like, there's no way this is going to happen to me at this moment. And it did. No, I mean, I actually watched the video. I like did the old like Terrell Hunt Achilles injury YouTube video. And I saw, I saw it and like exactly how you described it. It's like, it, it, you almost acted like your shoe fell off. I was like, oh, okay. Like I was like, fall down here. And then, yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure what you just described is what a lot of athletes have that same exact thoughts and feelings going through their heads and stuff like that. I'm kind of curious. Like I'm always interested in that. I had pain before the real bad injury because that's kind of what happened to me. Like I had a really bad headache going into my last game I ever played football. And instead of like telling someone like, yeah, my head hurts really bad. But when I run, when I do anything and like, I can't sleep and it's like that bad. Instead of telling someone, I chose to fight through it and then I couldn't play ever again. So I always tell everyone, I'm like, it's not the concussion that was the issue. It was the fact that I didn't tell anyone and sit out where that was the issue. So I'm just curious, like, I mean, not that it matters. I, I don't even want to ask the question. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You don't even got to ask. I'll tell you. The training staff was on top of it, right? But like they wanted me back. I wanted to be back. I was pushing my body and I told them, push me as much as they can. The coaches were pushing for me. But it wasn't like a it wasn't like they looked past my injuries to get me back. You know, it was like they knew I was tough. I knew I was tough. And I was like, listen, I, I can get through it. But the tendonitis, it would it would kill, you know, because it's like it would sometimes in the morning I would get out. Not even sometimes every day in the morning I would get out of bed. And I couldn't walk right away. I would, before tearing my Achilles, I would like have to, you know, like just put my foot up, put it down and then casually stretch it out. And I would ice it all the time. And, you know, but you got to think when you're practicing all the time and then you're working out all the time. And then even when you, the one thing that we always laughed about was as athletes is we complain that we don't get a day off. And then when we get a day off, we, we go and work out anyway. You know, it's like we were like, damn, we don't get no days off. And then as soon as we get a day off, we're chilling and we'll be like, oh, you guys want to work out? You want to get a workout in? You know, because that's what we're trained to do. So we'd always joke about that. And it was it was terrible. So do I feel like it could have been prevented? I don't know, you know, because in my mind, it was like I got one more year left. I don't know if I'm going to get that following year. I got one more year left. I'm getting through it. That's like the dichotomy of like you, you risk the risk to benefit. Yeah. Yeah, because like I always try to give little nuggets of like to stuff people who are athletes now to learn from our mistakes. You know, like if you can try to hold on, like as and play longer than we can, like I want to give you all the info that you can to make those those decisions that will lead to that outcome. But like you said, you're kind of that point in your career. It's like, all right, well, either I sit out 
maybe someone takes my spot. Maybe they don't. Maybe I come back. Maybe I play. It ended up, you know, getting injured, but it could have went a completely different way. Different way, yeah. It's kind of a thing like it's a, a devil's advocate, right? Because it's like uh, you look at, for instance, like Tom Brady. He got his start because Drew Bledsoe went out. You know, so when you see something like that, like nobody thinks about what if Drew Bledsoe never got hurt? Could he have been what Tom Brady is now? You know what I'm saying? Nobody ever really thinks about it. And it's like you always think about, oh, this guy got his shot because he was hurt. And then and the slogan in football is next man up. You know, it's like it, it's crazy when you think about that, because as a player, you're like, yo, it's important. Next man up. But when you think about it, it's like you're not really that important. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you are, but you really aren't. And I think that's what athletes realize once they do get hurt. And when it is over, it, that's the part that hurts oh the most. <laughs> you realize like, yeah, I'm actually not that important. I was on a date and last was- night and I told this girl that. I said to her, I said, she was just talking about like, you know, Leos and because I'm a Leo and she was talking about Virgos and everything. And she's like, yeah, Leo's like uh, attention and so whatnot. I was like, I don't think so. I said, do we get to talk? And I was like, with athletes, you got to realize you die twice, right? This is what Patrick used to always said to us. The first one is your athletic death. And then the second one is your real death, right? Because when you're a star athlete or, or, or very good at your sport, you get noticed and people, you know, and then it's like you go from being like, I literally went from being the most valuable player on the team to here in a year. And then it's like, not here, but I was here, let's say, right? I'm still around because I know I'm just broken legs, so I'm going to get back now. I'm boom, back in the spotlight. Let's go, bro. And then the fans forget about you. Other players are going to, you know, and it's like, oh. And then you're just trying to, like, crawl your way back to, like, something. Something. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like, and then you got to remember, it's like, we're also very young, you know, like, in in hindsight, like, we're put on a pedestal, so we have to grow up faster than other 18-year-old, 19-year-olds, but we're also really young-minded, you know, and it's so it's like coming from where I came from and dealing with what I, what I dealt with, losing my parents, you know, losing my sport is not as big as that. So I was able to deal with it, but I still struggled a lot, you know what I'm saying? But then it's like you lose this and it's like, man, this is my identity my entire life. And now what do people know me as? What do I know myself as? And then you just are questioning everything. And it's like, man. Yeah, that's the struggle for sure. So before we move on from the injuries, I just want to like, when you think back to it, like what was your response? And you kind of alluded to it, like after the broken leg. My response after the broken leg was, I got one more year. I'm pushing hard, going back at it. Uh, went to go meet with George Whitfield. I was doing everything, running all the time, like just getting back to it. My response when I tore my Achilles was, what else am I made of? What else do I like? What else, you know, like you start thinking outside the little box that you were in, you know, and you're like, you start thinking about, man, so what am I going to do now? What do I like to do? What am I interested? Do I like to do this? Am I interested in this? And then like, for me, it was like, man, after it happened, I was just like, man, I'm just partying. I'm just going to party my sorrows away, you know? And then it's like, that gets boring. Because it's probably not you either. Yeah, you know, like I, I like I like a good time, but like I don't I don't love to party a lot. Like I like I get tired of it, you know. So and it's, then it's also like for four years or, or three years, I should say, I was literally just focused on this, you know. And, and then it's like yeah, working out was your free time. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> like now they you take out the massive reason of why we're there. You take that out, and it's like oh, but like yeah, like you're so depressed, you know, and they don't give you someone to talk to. 
that's another thing. Like mental health, like they don't give you someone to talk. They being like the school or? Yeah, the school. Like I don't never want to talk bad about Syracuse or anything. Like they were great. But like just the whole NCAA entirely, you know, like they need to work on mental health issues. Because you got to think like we're coming from like friends. I came from single parent household. Like my mom was a single mom, you know, you know, I lost both my mom and my dad, but that was me. And then, so it's like, my life was already tough going into college. Now I'm in college and I'm, it's getting better. And then it's tough again. And it's like, man, like, you know, I wish I just had someone to talk to who was. Yeah. You don't have your mom. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like my other friends and it was, it was, I would be jealous. Cause like my other friends, like, you know, like they have family day and like walking on senior day and like, you know, stuff like that. And their parents would come up and it's like, damn, you know, like I wish I could talk to my mom and, you know, like tell her, watch this game, but you can't, you know? So it's like, now I'm hurt. So the one thing that kind of helped me cope with losing my parents was sports. I dove into sports heavy in high school and I was always working on always. So like when I got to college, it was the same thing. And now it's like, you took away my one vice that well, not you took away, but the universe, God took away my one vice that I threw myself in to get my mind off of anything. Like, like, you know, yourself when you're, when you're working out, you're playing and you're preparing. Like when I got on the football field, nothing mattered. My girl could have just cheated on me. I could have just failed my test. I could have just like got into a car accident and wrecked my car of my dreams. But when I'm on that field, everything is perfect in life. You know what I'm saying? Even, even when the games are going bad, it's still distraction yeah you know and it's like nothing else matters outside of this this field and when you take that away it's like oh man now what do i do and you also appealed to have a sixth year and that got denied twice right twice yeah and it was yeah so you're probably at like yeah the lowest of lows at that moment lowest lows and you had mentioned i watched this youtube video when you were talking about that sixth year uh, appeal process and you were saying that, you know, you don't wait for opportunities, you chase them. And I know that that was part of like, going for that second appeal. That was part of chasing your dreams and tr- still trying to keep that NFL dream alive. Was that game uh, that you tore your Achilles the last time you ever played football? Yeah, at least with pads on. Yeah. But in that same video, you also mentioned having some backup plans. You mentioned like commercial real estate and some other things. Like what other stuff were you interested in outside of football? And did you have time to kind of pursue those interests while you were playing? Me personally, I always like had a mind of I always wanted to work on my for myself or I always wanted to like I I always loved like knowing about Bill Gates, knowing about who's the richest man in the world, knowing about who owns what company, because like when you grow up in a single mother home, you know, it's not like I never had to feel that I had needed something that I couldn't get it. My mom always even though she only worked a job that she made 60,000 on and she's a probation officer, you know, but I never had a want for anything. But um, that's not to say like we weren't struggling. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I always wanted to give my mom what she didn't have, you know, and I and I was like, I don't want to work on someone else's schedule. Even if I would have made it to the NFL, I, w- I wanted to make it to the NFL for the money and the opportunity and the platform that I can do to change other things in other people's lives. Right. So for me, it was always I always branched out of just the team, right? It was a lot of athletes who stayed within a team. And I always branched out. My friends used to hate walking with me on campus because they're like, yo, you talk to everybody. And, you know, and it's like, why not, bro? We're not here just to be athletes. Like, yeah, we got, we're on a scholarship, but 
we're here to form relationships. Like some of these people we're sitting next to might be the next Bill Gates. Some of them might be a president. Like, for instance, Biden went to Syracuse. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you don't know what these people might be in years. They don't know what I might be. And already they want to be my friend because I'm the quarterback. So it makes it 10 times easier, you know? So it was like, I always wanted to branch out and do more. So when I was there, I was always asking about like, development stuff. And my roommate, Ben Lewis, he's the one that actually told me about commercial real estate. I didn't know what it was. I always knew real estate. I wanted to own, I wanted to put together money to own one of the buildings that we would live in because the team would then pay us for it. And if I'm the owner, I'm getting money directly from the team. So it's a win-win situation. But then I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want a house full of football players. That's asking for destruction. So <laughs> I wouldn't do that, you know, but um, like I was always thinking about stuff like that. And then my Buddy goes, yo, commercial real estate. I was like, what is that? He's like, it's real estate, but like bigger scales. And I was like, he's like, like a warehouse. And he goes, yeah, so it costs more money. So you get paid more. I was like, all right. So my pops always told me if you want to, if you're going to be good at anything, I mean, if you're going to be something, be the best at it. If you're going to be the bum, be a best bum, have the best signs, be on the best streets, wake up the earliest, get all the cans. Like he always told me that. He said, whatever you do, be the best at it. So I was like, I'm going for real estate. And while I was out there, I was, after my year was up, I was working with a guy named Tim Tim Ahern and I was just going, learning about stocks. And I was asking coach, hey, can you connect me with this person? Blah, blah, blah. I want to meet all these people. I wish I would have did that from my freshman year because I had so much free time. I had to fill it up with something else. So, you know, I, I was into various, various different things. Like I would find kids who, for instance, I went to a basketball game at one of the schools nearby and this kid was on a team. He had a jersey on, but he was probably like an eight year old kid, but he had, apparently had cancer. So I went up to his parents after the game and said, hey, listen, I would love to have him come to a Syracuse game with a jersey on, run out with us like he's, you know, and. I would go above and beyond and go to this kid's birthday party. And when he had his uh, remission party, I went to it. You know, like for me, it was I wanted to really use that platform to be bigger than me, the athlete. You know, so I wish to answer your question. I wish I was involved more with stuff outside the sport as far as business minded. But at the same time, you're not thinking about that when you're playing. I want to start. Exactly. I want to yeah. start. I want to I want to. <laughs> have a social life too. And I want to make it to the NFL. You know, I want to be the best one in, in collegiate football. So it's like, I don't have time to really think about, do I want to own a business? Do I want to get into real estate? Do I, you know, so it's like, you can do it, but it's also no one else is, no one there is telling you, Hey, listen, we'll take a look at this. Take a look at that. You know, like we had a joke. It was, um, my strength coach. I love the guy to death. We're still very close. And he had a joke. He was like, school comes first, football comes second. You know, it's a joke, but there at the same time, you're serious. You know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, he's a great guy and he would always joke about that. But he always said, you know, like, make sure you get your degree. And that was the one thing that I actually got. I was able to get my master's as well. So, you know, I got something out of the deal. For sure. And I think I did my, when I did my research, it looked like you had made like honor roll during the time frames when you were hurt. I didn't even know that. But if that's true, then I, I could see that happening. I think so. Like, I made it. I don't know. Nah, I, know, I, I don't know, know if like, a I know, I'll tell you this. My GPA was the highest when I wasn't playing. Yeah. 
So that's what I mean. Like it wasn't like you were sitting in your room, like playing video games, like feeling sorry for yourself. Like you were out there doing stuff yeah, and yeah, yeah. making yourself better. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my mom always like, she instilled that in me. She said, you only have two jobs in this world when you're growing up. It's to make sure you're a great student and in your sport, you know? And once they took that one away, it was like, well, I only got one job now. <laughs> so, But it's also obvious that you like, you, you have a desire to help people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So all in all, it sounds like you didn't feel entirely prepared for that transition. Like it wasn't like you were hitting the ground running. It was, you kind of had to figure things out, make a few mistakes and then learn and kind of feel it out. Even when I uh, got home, I, man, I did plumbing for the union. I did valet service. I did college commercial real estate, life insurance, medical device sales. That's what I do currently now. I did the whole nine. I own a online retail store. Like when, when I got out, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was nobody who could tell me what to do. Cause like I said, I don't have parents. So, I mean, I do have family members and stuff. It was like my aunt who's very close to me and I love their criticism, but and their uh, constructive criticism and everything, but nobody in my family made it to where I want to get to, you know? So it's like hard to go to them because like they can get you to where they got to the, to their peak. Right. But then you're going to have to go and get a mentor to get you to another peak. And like, I can't go to someone who's never made a million dollars and ask them how to make a million dollars. You know what I'm saying? And for me, it was like, there was no blueprint. I didn't have a blueprint to follow. I also didn't have someone to make sure that I was like, Hey, how am I doing? Am I doing good here? I don't have that. You know, I do not to say I don't, I do, but it's like, it's different from when it's your mom, you know what I'm saying? To when it's, someone else. So for me, it was like, man, just try everything. And my friends always joke on me. They was like, man, you work more than anybody. And my friend's Jamaican. He's like, you work more than Jamaicans, man. (laughs) He's always joking about it. But for me, it was like, nobody's going to tell you what you like. You know, you got to go out and do it and figure if you like it. So that's what I did. So you tried a bunch of stuff. I really admire that, that you tried the plumbing thing, the med device, the commercial real estate, the e-commerce website. You, you were hustling and trying to figure it out. And to be completely honest, like I should have done the same, but <laughs> I admire that you you did that. So like, how long were those stints that you were trying those new things out where you're like, you tried it on, waited, it was like a few months, a year or whatever. And then you like, tried it, nah, not for me, move on. I did uh, valet for six months. I did plumbing for three. And I'm the type of person that like, I'm not going to BS your time or mine, right? Because like losing my parents, I know that time is finite, right? So you could be here today, going tomorrow. And I've seen it firsthand with multiple accounts. So for me, I'm not going to waste my time. So I did the plumbing for like three to four months. And I was just like, this isn't for me. You know, like I didn't want to wake up 6 a.m. or 5.30 a.m., go to the city at 7 be all dusty and all the stuff and eat for 30 minutes. And then I got to go back to work. And then one time I did a double for like two days in a row. And that was living hell. I was like, this is not for me. I can work hard. I'm a hard worker, but there's got to be an easier way to make money where I don't have to put my body through this. Like if it was the NFL, I'll put my body through it because I'm making millions of dollars. Plumbing, not so much. So I did valet. I did that for like a good four to five months. And then I was just like, what I what I thought was, I'm going to do valet at night from 12 to 7. And then from 7 to 12, I have all day to do other things. So I'm getting money. And then I can also do commercial real estate and find a way to get money to do that. And I was living off of dollar slices because in real estate, 
you only make money when you close a deal. And I closed a few deals, luckily, but I was living off of dollar slices for months. And it, it was a hustle and it was a grind, you know, but it's like you don't have a blueprint. I remember I still got the screenshot in my bank account because my mom left me money. But as the years go, you go through it. That's like six, that's more over 10 years now. So I'm obviously going to go through some of it and put some away, but you don't have anyone financially telling you what to do. So you invested some places, you make money from that, then you lose some, you make money for that. So I remember my bank account was $13. It was on my birthday too. It was on my birthday. My bank account was $13. And I just was like crying. You know, I'm like, oh my God. Like it kind of makes you think like, man, school was a waste, you know, because it's like, not to say it was a waste. It was a great experience. I loved it. But like, there's people who didn't go to school who are millionaires and very, very successful. And it's like, man, did I waste my time? So you start thinking that. And then it's just like, man, what am I going to do? You know, but me, I'm a very resilient person. So I'm always looking on. I'll, I'll cry to, today, tomorrow I'm, I'm over it. So once I started getting a hang of things, like, all right, I closed a few deals. And then another opportunity came to be in the medical device field. And that, if you know anything about that, is phenomenal money in it. So I did that for a year and a half, then the pandemic hit. So then I started doing life insurance and I did that for a year and a half and made great money there. Ran a team of like eight individuals and I still do life insurance, but I had got back into the medical field again. But through all the midst of it, me and my buddies, how we actually started Good Choice Production. Yeah, let's hear about that, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Good Choice Productions is... uh, created by me, um, my buddy, Jeremiah Cabina, who was also a wide receiver at Syracuse, and Wayne Morgan, who was a cornerback at Syracuse, all of which were really, really good athletes. And Wayne was actually like All-American coming out of high school into college. And we all were kind of sidelined by injuries. And we would always get together because we all live in the city and we would just be talking, you know, as athletes, you always talk. And then we would be like, man, what are you up to? Because we're all trying to figure it out. We all don't know a blueprint. We don't know anything. So we're trying to figure it out. And we, you know, we get to talking. We're talking about, hey, we should make a documentary. And then at first we were all kind of like bitter at how the NCAA handled us. So it was like, man, we should, you know, tack the NCAA in a way. Like, and how do we do this? Let's rally. Like, you know, and it's like, I was like, bro, they're a billion dollar company. And we came to a conclusion. We're not going to win against the NCAA. We've seen countless and countless individuals try to go up against them. You're not going to win against the NCAA. Right. And so what we came to a conclusion was as we started learning about business and reading more books, that's one thing I would say is highly important to read books, like read a ton of books, because my mentor, he told me, if you ever want to hide something from a man, put it in a book. And he said, that's why people in jail, they hide knives and everything in their books and contraband because nobody reads them, you know? So he said, if you ever want to hide something from a man, put it in a book. Once I heard that, I was like, I'm reading books, you know, and I started just diving into books and just reading heavy because it does something when you read a book and you can underline it. You just, you know, and and if I wanted to be Bill Gates and Sam Walton, who created Walmart or someone like that, like I was like, man, like if I can't get in contact with them, and I can't meet them face to face. The best thing is they all wrote a book telling you how they did it. But nobody reads. The average person reads one book every five years. You know what I'm saying? So we get to talking about that. And then it was like, man, like we need to create a solution because it's like I have some teammates who graduated with a degree and are rappers, some that sell marijuana, you know, and it's like they they took it, but they sell marijuana and now a dispensary. You know what I'm saying? But it's just things that 
they're doing. But then I have teammates who are lawyers, you know, so it's like it's a big range of a scale. Right. And there's no one right thing to do. But we're all we all go through it after college. So good choice reductions is we thought like, hey, man, we got we we're going to create a documentary documenting. Boom. The 98 percent. Right. Because the two percent make it maybe even less. But everybody focuses on that two percent that makes it right. It's on a large scale. But nobody ever puts the focus on a 98 percent. Right. So like, for instance, there's this guy, Jason Bridges, well, something like that. I'll have to get his exact name. But he's the second wealthiest player to ever play in the NBA. And he played for like 12 seasons, but nobody knows him. Right. The reason why he got his wealth was because what he was doing during his offseason NBA was interning at Wendy's, Chili's and fast food restaurants. And while he was interning there, he was learning how to own them, how to operate them. Now he owns over 250 fast food restaurants and he sold them for like $700 million. But this is a guy who played in the NBA. Nobody knows him, but he made his money from doing something outside of the sport, from studying something, from becoming an entrepreneur, using that money to do that. So like, I was like, man, there's no way to get in contact with these guys. Like being an athlete, as you know, we're a fraternity within ourselves, right? Because like, if I meet you, for instance, if I meet you on a plane, and you're wearing a pit book bag, for instance, because this really happened to me, but you're wearing a pit book bag. And I go, oh, you went to pit? And you go, yeah, yeah. I go, what you play? Oh, I played, let's say basketball. Oh, okay. I played uh, football at Syracuse. Where? Dope. Now it's an instant connection because we know that you went through a struggle to get where you were at and do what you did. And I went through a struggle, whether it was the same sport or whatever, but we both played on that D1 level, on that level of collegiate football. So I was like, man, there's no way to get in contact with other athletes who some guys may own a business. Some guys may do this. And it's like no way to get in contact with them. So at Good Choice Productions, we decided to start a TV series that we're working on currently where we show the 98%, the up in the in the uh the bad, the up in the down, right? Because it's like as an athlete, sometimes you I'm I'm guarantee you went through this where you felt like, man. I'm the only person in the world going through this right now that feels like that. But when you think about it, every year, 98% of that pool is going to go through that. And feel like you. And feel like you. But you don't know that because there's no way to contact. There's no way. There's no like athlete thing where, you know, you can, there's no uh, like indeed for athletes, you know, and everybody who owns a company wants an athlete to work for them because time management skills, discipline, the whole nine hustle, yeah. hustle, the whole nine. Right. But like as an athlete, you only think of, you only think about the sport when it's over and you're like, oh, man, I want the sport. But like all those skills that we naturally have for our entire life, people are trying to get them now. We had them at 10 years old, but we don't know how to utilize them because nobody's teaching us or market them or, yeah, or make those anything. connections, yeah. make those connections. So like we would like we would brainstorm, and brainstorm, and brainstorm. And um, I can't go into deep detail because like we're in the. Uh, process of, you know, doing IP to protect the idea and all of that. But basically it's catered around athletes to help them transition, basically to help them in a way, do what you do, you know, but um, more hands-on and actually like a program that we're creating basically that will help athletes transition better and become a person who's worthy to be in society and the society proud of themselves exactly who's not like you know just just going through it and just so down all the time you know yeah because i i used to say like 
I lost the thing that gave me an opportunity to prove my worth to the world. Yes. And what you're trying to do is show people or show former athletes other ways that you can prove your worth to the world. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the one thing that I feel like, like you said, you said it perfectly. You want to show that's your worth to the world. And when you either you get get snatched from, it gets taken from whatever it may be, you feel like, man, I'm unworthy of anything now. You know? Yeah. The story that you tell yourself in your head is, uh, it can go one way or the other, but you're trying to show people the <laughs> yeah, through good choice projections, like what other stories you can write for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So during this entrepreneurial process, like how would you compare being an entrepreneur to playing football and being a quarterback? Being an entrepreneur, there is no blueprint because like being a quarterback, like, yeah, you run a show, you call the plays, you do this, you make decisions. But at the end of the day, there's a bird in the sky that's telling you, hey, this is what they're doing. This is the play we're going to call. He relays it down to someone else and then that person. So you're still getting told what to do. Even as an athlete, right, where our schedule is made out for us, we got class here, we got hair, we got free time for an hour, boom, we'll work out. And then at the end of the night, it's like, whatever you do is what you do, right? But everything is laid out for you, no matter what. Like, so you're still on a schedule and you're on a plan. When you're an entrepreneur, nothing's laid out for you. You have to figure it out. So now you have to be the designer of your layout. You have to be the designer of everything you're going to do, your choices, your decisions, what's good for me, what's good for the company, everything. So I would say the difference is there's no blueprint, but the hustle is exactly the same. Like (laughs) I tell my friends that like, I don't take naps that like often because like if I sleep, I feel like I'm missing out. Someone else is getting better than me. You know, and like my friends laugh at me, but they're not, some of them are an athlete, so they don't understand it. And I'm, not, not I'm a very anti-napper as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the point of it. You know, it's like we sleep one third of our entire life. It's like, I'm going to already, add, yeah. Already, why would you <laughs> add more to it? So for me, it's like, no, I just, I just can't do it. So I have a fear of missing out, but not of parties of like opportunities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. And you're still doing the, uh, oh no, you said the the medical device job kind of phased out during COVID. Yeah, but I, so I picked it up again. So I'm doing that in a while running, trying to run, well, not trying to run in GCP because, you know, you don't make money from it yet as you're like, you know, trying to figure it out as you're growing. Like in the first five years, you don't make money from it. So, you know, all of us, we want to put all our eggs in this basket, but we have rent, we got build. We have a car. So it's like we have to work on something. So that's why we're all very excited to be going to Patrick's program in Townsend to like for those two months, just fully focus on our objective. You know what I'm saying? And two months of focused effort could jumpstart you wonders. So we're really excited about that. No. Yeah. Patrick says something to me along the lines of like, you compare it like with a cow. He's like, there's two types of cows. He's like, the one cow that gives the milk is the one that's just involved. He's like, and the other cow that gives steak is the one that's committed. He's like, if you're an entrepreneur, you got to give steak. You got to give steak. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's literally the same thing. I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, yeah, you're definitely right, man. (laughs) So you're, you're going down there full time to work with Patrick and that's, that's awesome, man. As we kind of wrap up the the interview here, you have any fears going into that program? Like any insecurities, fears? Yeah, um, I'm usually not an insecure person at all. Yeah, you got that swag from being QB. Man. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And then like my only fear is my only fear in life is like 
to be a failure. That's my only fear, right? And I know it's not going to happen, but like, that's my only fear in life, right? Because I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of any of that, you know, like my only fear is that. So um, the one thing I would say is like, what is kind of discouraging is when we got on a Zoom to meet everybody who's going and to talk about their ideas and their company and what they're doing, you know, some of them were like, like, for instance, this one girl, I don't want to give it all away, but she created an app that links parents with babysitters. And she's one year out of college and she's like, yeah, you know, it's doing well, very humble, very, very humble. And she was like, yeah, you know, we just made seven figures. And and we're like, damn, you know, <laughs> another guy, he created this thing for cameras and this and that. And we're just like, whoa, like, you know, then when we tell them our idea, they're all like, whoa, that's a great idea. And we're like, damn, but your idea is like killing it right now, you know? But the one thing I got to realize is like, you know, we run our own race and our idea isn't like a fad. It isn't for a time, not to say any of their ideas are, but it isn't for like, we're not selling anything, you know, we're creating something that will last for generations and change the lives of athletes and athletes to come. Because I don't see, the one thing we realized what me and Pat talked about is athletes are essential workers. And the pandemic showed that and proved that, right? Because I'll give you two reasons. One, when sports weren't playing, what was on TV? I bet you, you can't even tell me. Can't even tell me, right? Because no one was watching it. No one was watching Netflix. Right? <laughs> Netflix, exactly. Ratings went down. Netflix and Hulu, boom, because nobody was watching it. So one, it tells you people only watch TV for sports mainly, and like maybe their favorite TV show. And then two, athletes were had to report back to college and schools before the essential workers and and being professors and being people that work the grounds. So it's like. We're more important than the people that run the school and we're only 18, 19, 20. So now it's like, all right, so now you guys just showed your hand that we're highly important to the economy, to the school, to the entire way the world works. So now, one, we don't get paid. And I say we because I'm not in college anymore, but two, you know, we don't get paid. And then two, it's like, all right, now we kind of have backing. It's like we have proof now. You need us. It's not that like, you know, we need you anymore. Like you need us. So we realize like every year it's going to be a reoccurring athletes, 98% that don't make it in all of our, all of the sports relatively. So we're changing that 98%, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make that 98% get in a two percentile of net worth. Get in a by showcasing those stories. Exactly. And by showcasing and, and giving a solution to it, you know, so so that was the one thing that I would say kind of did make me insecure was like, man, these people got something that they can touch, hold and sell. And ours is more not something that you can sell, but you can sell it. But you know what I'm saying? It's not like an object. Yeah, it's still an idea kind of at the exactly. moment. Exactly. And it's a longevity thing. So I would say that was the only thing that I think made us insecure, but we're over it now. Comparison gets you, uh, doesn't get you too far. You yeah. kind of like stay in your lane. When you start comparing yourself to other people, that's when things start going awry and you don't feel so good about yourself anymore. You lose that swag, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so don't, yeah, stop comparing yourself. All right, last question I ask everyone on the podcast, and I, this obviously you're a, a very tough individual, uh, just based off of what you've gone through in your athletic career and your life and what you, you've continued, continued to stay positive. But what's your definition of toughness? Muhammad Ali, right? He he. When he works out, he they ask him like, "How many reps do you do?" And he's like, "I don't, I don't count." They're like, "Why don't you count?" He goes, "I don't count until it starts to hurt." 
if I'm working out and I only get four when it starts to hurt, boom, if I get five, I'm one more better than I was just that rep ago. I don't know how many I did. I could have did 35, but I got five extra reps that really mattered, right? So for me, the toughness is everybody has up and downs in their life. You know, I lost my parents. You almost died from a brain injury, from a concussion, right? Yeah. Yeah. And my friend, he lost a bunch of friends and they were like, everybody's going to have up and up and downs in their life. Right. But one thing my pops always told me is if no matter if you're up or you're, or you're down, always remain level. Right. Because even even my quarterback coach, like have a have a short mentality when you throw a pick. They always say short memory, short memory, because it's life. Right. It's going to happen. We're, even if you, even the richest people in the world have some type of thing that brings them down, you know, and. And for me, it's like it's all about the, the bounce back, the get back, you know, because it's like no one cares about someone who stayed down. You get what I'm saying? Like Delonte West, he was a top guy and now he's a druggie, you know, and it's like, why isn't he getting help? Because in our society in America, no one cares about the person that stayed down. What sells is the comeback kid. You get what I'm saying? And that's why the Tom response. Brady, yeah, the exactly. response. That's why Tom Brady is so great, you know, because it's like. I don't care if you went down. Like it sounds harsh, but there's a reason why there's 98% people there and only 2% of people on top is because when some people go down, they just stay down. But if you could stay down and come up and stay down and come up, that's a fun ride. And then it starts to feel like you're on a roller coaster. And now, before you know it, you're going to be going even up higher. And then the coming down is not going to be so far. And then it's, you know, and then you just keep going up. So for me, toughness is honestly just being resilient and keeping your head down and, you know, just knowing who you are and being confident in who you are enough to pick yourself up. You don't need to, you know, go do anything. You don't just, all you need is all you need. And honestly, it's all right here. And through books, I learned that, man. Like this is between the ears is the most valuable real estate in the universe. You don't know that until you go, till you go down that hill. What book would you recommend an athlete pick up? I got one right here. I got three books I would tell you. So this is one of them. It's by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Got to get that one. This is a phenomenal one because basically Napoleon Hill studied, it was like 125 of the richest people in the world at the time. And he studied them for 25 years and he wrote basically how they became it. Um, Another one is Atomic Habits. That's a good one. It basically tells you about just all the habits that we have, good or bad, and how we could create a good habit and how we could create a bad one. And then the other one, it's called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And it's all about, you know, just a compound effect about life. Like, you know, if I give you a penny and I double it every day for a month and I give this guy a million dollars, who's going to have more? We will, you know, because it doubles and it's the compound effect. So it basically teaches you about that in life. Right. Because it's like the object, for instance, like I want to lose weight. I want to lose 10 pounds. Right. But the object isn't to lose weight. The object is to become a runner so I can lose weight, you know, or eat better because I'm a I'm a better eater. Like I got this from somebody I got James Clear, actually, the Atomic Habits and the compound effect teaches you how if I do this today, I won't see the results tomorrow. But because I'm doing it repetitively in a compound effect, the results will come exponentially later on down the line. And I feel like that's the one thing with athletes, especially we're so used to immediate results because it's like, boom, I shoot the shot. They cheer. I got two points. I win the game, boom, they cheer. You know, if I get the first down, everybody's cheering. So it's immediate, you know, but in the real world, it's not all immediate. 
Yeah, and I'm even thinking to your own story how you wish you like started reading these books when you were younger and it networked more as a freshman. Like those are all those compound things. Like for an athlete, it doesn't have to be this big thing. It could be like a little thing once a week, but like over the course of four or five years, it turns out to be a big thing. Yeah, yeah. you know, and even with money and saving, you know, like everything is a compound effect and you know, we don't realize it because what takes over is Instagram. Oh, yeah. If you're an athlete just coming out of college and you're not making money from Instagram, don't be on Instagram. Don't be on a social media. Just try to limit your time to the minimum because you'll subconsciously start comparing yourself to like what other people are doing. Right. Because nobody ever posts their failures on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? They only post like what they're doing in this and that and the highlights. So it's like if you're a former athlete, you're not where you want to be. And, and now you're on Instagram, you look at all these people who are doing this, all these people who are making money and putting their highlights on, you'll subconsciously start thinking like, man, like, what am I doing in my life? And you'll fall into a depression. And it's something that I realized, like that I've read, like some of the creators of Facebook don't even have Facebook because of what it's created in, in human nature. I actually noticed that you didn't have any social media yeah. when I was looking you up. Yeah. yeah, you know, like if I do, I don't even put my real name on it because it's like I, I don't, I don't want. Not to say I don't want people to find me, but it's like I don't pay attention to it as much, you know, because it's like it releases endorphins, and you know, people become drug addicts off of that release of endorphins. So it's like if I can stay away from that, <laughs> I'll be pretty good, you know. I'll, I'll rather post when I'm actually at the level I want to be at, you know, because then it's like, man, this happened overnight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then you're just with everyone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. Thanks for your time. And thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And I know it'll definitely resonate with the audience and athletes uh, out there. And like you said, like 98% of athletes feel exactly how you felt, how I felt, and they can learn from your, your story and what you're doing now. And we look forward to see what's to come with uh, good choice productions. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. And I'll definitely be in touch with you, man. This was a great time.